0: Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. We're going to jump into the Word this morning. Just open your Bible anywhere. And, uh, I, you know, sometimes when you, when you preach, you study, and God speaks to you and then you preach from that passage and other times and and this often happens when you get in prayer meetings I was telling someone it's like getting in a whirlwind there's all kinds of feathers and leaves you just got to grab one you know and you're kind of trying to figure out what to land on and uh so my heart is full this morning so get ready we'll take a break around one and uh (laughs) then we'll we'll continue We'll, we'll order in McDonald's or something uh No, really, I do want to, I believe what will end up being a series, because there's no way we're going to get through it all this morning, uh, but I want to talk about what the Lord is calling us to as a house. Uh, I'll I'll just, this this is what I'm going to be talking about. We're going to talk about the tabernacle of David. We're going to talk about the priesthood of Melchizedek. We're going to talk about the unique nature of David and what God's called us to. We're going to talk about Jesus as the son of David. And uh, so that's why I said, I don't know where to start. We're just going to talk about all those things. Uh, But it's really flowing out of what we talked about last week. Now, last week we talked about prophetic intercessory worship. That's how we rule and reign with God. You know we're called to rule with Jesus. That is not some futuristic thing that we're waiting for promotion. We've already entered the age to come. Do you realize that? You have already entered eternal life. When we pray the on Earth as it is in heaven, it's because we already live there, and we're wanting it to come here. We've got one foot in eternity and one foot in time. We're the bridge between the two. We've got one foot in heaven and one foot on Earth. Uh, just as Jesus is the ladder, that he said that the angels ascended and descended, you are called to be a ladder, a connecting place between both realms, and literally to pull eternity into time. And David is one of our great examples of that, that David lived as a New Testament man under the Old Testament. In the old, under the Old Covenant, David lived as a New Covenant man. We need to ask ourselves, where David got the right to do so? What made him think that he could eat the showbread? What made David think that he could wear the linen ephod and and, uh, function as a priest? What made David think he could get away with these things? When King Saul tried to offer sacrifices, God took the kingdom from him. When David did similar things, God loved it. What was different about David? And I would propose to you that Saul did it through presumption and therefore rebellion, but David did it through revelation. David touched something in God, and he showed us that there is is a place in God where you can step out of the limitations of the time in which you live and access the powers of the age to come. The book of Hebrews talks about us accessing the powers of the age to come. We have this mental block when it comes to eternity and even death. I was, I was speaking with a couple this week, and we were talking about how death is a false finish line that we need to get over because Jesus removed it. He conquered death in the grave, and therefore those we love that have gone on the other side in Christ, we're still in relationship with them. They are part of the great cloud of witnesses and their ministry, the investment of their life did not end at their funeral. It continues on. In fact, I would propose to you that they are more invested in the ministry and the destiny that God called them to than they were when they were walking the earth. Because they see it more clearly now. And so there, they are invested. They are still laboring with us in Christ. My little boy who passed away at four years old, he's now, how old would he be? 30? 29, he's now more invested because he's learned some things up there and he's pulling for me. I wouldn't be surprised if he's praying right now. God, help Dave, help dad because he is part of the great cloud of witnesses and the the Bible teaches that there is a great prayer meeting going on around the throne right now. And so this false finish line, see, Scripture talks about we have entered the age to come. When you got saved, you entered eternity. You aren't waiting for eternal life. You already have it. And that eternal life had the, the, the end kicked out of it so that we are now living in the age to come. And so now our job is to be a bridge between the two. And David is the great example of that because David lived under the old covenant but functioned as a new covenant man. And I'm telling you, the reason God received it from David but disciplined Saul was because Saul did it by presumption and David did it by revelation. So we're gonna gonna go on a journey over... I'm, I'm... assuming over the next few weeks here. And I want us to look at the Melchizedek priesthood and I want us to look at David and how David broke into some things that you and I need to understand. We are living in an hour where it's gonna become increasingly important for you and I to understand the Melchizedek priesthood. You're thinking, Melchizedek, that's a, you know, he's, he's only mentioned in three passages in scripture. Do you realize that? He's introduced almost in passing in the book of Genesis. He's mentioned again in one psalm, Psalm 110, and then he shows up again where the writer of Hebrews is referring back to what was written about him in Genesis. Yet he is one of the most important figures in Scripture because he actually broke into and paved the way for what you and I are to live in. So much so that what we're, gonna, what we're supposed to be living in bears his name. And even what Jesus broke into, what Jesus walked in bore the name of Melchizedek. And David understood that by revelation and paved the way so much so that Jesus is called the son of David but is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. So it's a fascinating study. So let's pray. Father, Lord, we just thank you this morning. We thank you for what you've already done. Lord, we thank you for your presence. Lord, I thank you for the fertile atmosphere here this morning. Father, I'm asking God that you would give us ears to hear, a heart to respond. Let us be a hundredfold hearers this morning. And Lord, for those that do not yet, they're not yet tuned in. Lord, I ask that you would use me as a mouthpiece to get them there. And Lord, for the rest of them, let just speak to them. Just speak over me. <laughs> and Lord, bring us along in your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Melchizedek shows up. I want to say it's in Genesis chapter 14. He, he shows up and he is. it says he is a priest king. So he occupies these two roles. He is a priest. A priest is someone who, before God, would represent man, but before man would represent God. It's this in-between state. That's why we we talk about us as the bridge. That is a priestly role. Our standing in the gap, the idea of intercession, all of that is a priestly idea that before man, we're to represent God. We're to represent God to humanity. But before God, we're representing man, and we're saying, God, have mercy on our nation. Have mercy on our family. Have Lord, We stand in the gap. That is a priestly sentiment. And you and I, according to Peter, are a kingdom of priests, or we are priests and kings. So we're priests, we're go-betweens. We're those who represent in that representative role. Matter of fact, the zenith of priestly acts the ultimate culmination of all of history of a priestly act was Jesus hanging on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, representing both and rejected by both. So he could merge the two back together. It's this picture of intercession. Jesus suspended between heaven and earth in a priestly role. He was not only the high priest of our faith, he was the sacrifice which the high priest offered so he could merge the two back. But we need to understand that Jesus was not a high priest in the order of the Levitical priesthood. Jesus entered into a separate priesthood, a different priesthood. It's the priesthood in the order of Melchizedek. We see that terminology show up in Psalm 110. Prior to that, Abram runs into this guy and even tithes to him. Abram recognizes that he is what Genesis calls a priest of the Most High God. Hebrews plays off of that and refers to it and says, the guy has no beginning or end. It's saying, we don't, we don't know his backstory. We don't know whatever became of him. He just kind of shows up. And the father of faith, Abram himself, sacrifices. And then he serves communion. He serves him bread and wine, Melchizedek, to Abram. And Abraham gives him a tithe of what he had gained. And that's the only only picture we have of him. Other than we know, he was not only a priest of the Most High God, but he was the king of this place called Salem, or peace. The king of Shalom. What does that remind you of? The prince of peace, the king of Salem. The place that would eventually become Jerusalem. So he was a precursor to a whole lot of other stuff, but he just kind of shows up and then disappears out of history until he reemerges in Psalm 110, where it says, my Lord says, my my Lord says to my Lord, the Lord says to my Lord, you will sit at my right hand, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So this is is an added revelation because we know Abram recognized this guy's a priest of the most high God. We don't know where Melchizedek got this revelation of the most high God. We know that there were many people worshiping many gods, and there was a whole lot of people that would say, I'm a priest, so they could, you know, that, that was a that was a crucial role in ancient society, and people would hire, hire priests to teach them. There were a whole lot of pagan priests out there, but Scripture tells us, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this guy was a priest of the Most High God. He was a legitimate priest. Moses, playing off of that, Moses, most scholars agree that Moses wrote the the Pentateuch and wrote the book of Genesis, and Moses records it saying that he was a priest of the Most High God. So Abram, the father of our faith, Moses the great leader that spoke with God face to face also recognized this guy was a priest of the Most High God. And Moses was the one that got the revelation of this Levitical priesthood. But yet he recognizes this guy did, was not a Levite. He wasn't even an Israelite, let alone a Levite. But he was a priest of the Most High God. But it wasn't until David penned Psalm 110 that we realize that Melchizedek was not an anomaly. He wasn't this one-off guy there that just kind of broke into something and then it passed out of history. He established something in the Spirit, a whole new order of priesthood, a separate order of priesthood. And that is what David discovered. Many years ago, I preached a, like a 17-year series on Psalm 24. I, I literally, I, I was preaching on that week after week, and uh, we're, we're driving to church, and my son Tyler, who's now in the military down in Texas, we're driving to church, he's about 10 years old or so, I don't know how old he is, he said, Dad, are you gonna preach on that Psalm 24 again? I said, yeah, I'm not done. He said, Dad, I could quote the whole passage. I said, no, you couldn't. And he sat there in the passenger seat and quoted the whole passage. I thought, I guess we're done. <laughs> but it is a fascinating passage. And we cannot talk about the Melchizedek priesthood and who David really was and the secret of his life without alluding to this passage. And I do believe Psalm 24 is crucial for us as a church body to understand because I, I believe it's connected to the unique calling on this house. I believe Psalm 24 holds the keys to regional breakthrough. Yes. Yeah. And in that passage, David opens up, he says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, for he founded it upon the sea and he established it upon the waters. God is stating his rightful claim to the planet. And then he says this: Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? David is asking a question he shouldn't be asking. Because consensus theology already finalized the answer. You have to be of the Levitical priesthood. That's who you would have to be. But there's something about David. There was a sense that there's something more And that was one of the marks of David's life. David was a man that kept pressing in for more. He was hungry, and his hunger caused him to ask questions nobody else was asking. And therefore, to receive revelation, nobody else had. David asked, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? And David, by revelation, begins to give a separate criteria for a separate priesthood. He who has clean hands and a pure heart does not lift up his soul to an idol, nor swear by what is false. And David gives the markers, the criteria, for a separate priesthood. David's hunger caused him to break into a revelation that nobody before him had. And that was that there was not just a man, an ancient man that was a priest, but there was an ancient man that established a priesthood, an order that David himself could enter into. And in so doing, David found a back door into the Holy of Holies. There was another route in That David found by revelation. Now, a priesthood has at least three things it has the qualifications for the one who serves as the priest, it has a structure to the the worship, but even the edifice in which the worship takes place, and then it has its own laws. Under the Levitical priesthood, we know that you had to be of the Levitical line, and then the structure was this three-tiered system where you had the outer court, the inner court, and the holiest of all. We saw that with the tabernacle of Moses, and then the temple of Solomon. But and then you had the criteria, the uh, the laws. It was the old covenant law. But then in the interim time between Moses's, uh tabernacle and Solomon's temple, we have this other priesthood pop up temporarily. But scripture tells us it's the eternal priesthood. So it's not that the Levitical priesthood was the eternal one. It was the Melchizedek, Melchizedekian priesthood. Uh, We're going to coin that phrase. The Melchizedekian priesthood was the eternal one. Because it had, was without beginning and without end. And the first man we know, and I would argue the first man in all of time to break into it, because it bears his name, was Melchizedek, who was a priest king. Now, just as a pause here, there are certain people, there, there, there are scholars, there's a lot of people who believe that Melchizedek was literally a theophany, which is a theological term for the pre-incarnate Christ showing up in human form. I do not believe that. And there's two reasons. Number one, he served as the king of this city. We don't have any, any reason to believe that. We, we do know there were theophanies throughout the Old Testament. Jesus coming in a form that they could relate with prior. You see that when, when Joshua knelt before the angel of the Lord. and wasn't rebuked. It wasn't told, hey, I'm a servant like you. As, as other passages dictate when someone worships an angel. So it was was an expression of God himself. But we don't have any reason to believe that Jesus occupied a place on the earth like that. And the other reason, and this is the strongest reason I don't believe that, is because Hebrews tells us that the priest had to be taken from among the people so he could represent them. And Jesus was not yet, he had not yet took on human flesh so he could not yet represent us. So this was a physical man. And that's important for us to understand because he established a priesthood that God is inviting us into. In fact, if you're a believer, you're already in. You just need to understand what you're in so you can leverage that because there are some markers to the Melchizedekian priesthood that God is calling you to step up into. He's calling you to function as a priest and a king. So whereas Levitical priesthood, there was, there was the criteria for the priesthood, there was the structure to worship, and there was the law, the same is true of the Melchizedekian priesthood. The Melchizedekian priesthood had different qualifications for a priest. It's not tied to biology. It's not tied to your genealogy. It's tied to your heart posture. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart and does not lift his soul to an idol, or swear by what is false. That's the pathway. That's the back door into his presence that was closed through the law, but opened through revelation, embedded prior to the law in Scripture. We also had its own structure. David erected a pup tent, essentially, essentially, there wasn't a three-tiered system. Matter of fact, the, the, the veil, the buffer between the people and the holiness of God was the worshipers who would stand by night in the presence of the Lord. The intercessors, the worshipers, the intercessory worshipers were the buffer, the veil to protect the people. And they, that's why David would write, come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. David, through revelation, did away with the three-tiered system during his life because he broke into something by revelation and the tabernacle of David, let's get ahead of ourselves for a minute. The tabernacle of David is nothing more and nothing less than David inviting everyone else into the intimacy he discovered. He's saying, listen, I broke into something by revelation and through heart posture and I'm inviting you, come on in, it's good. The water's good, come in. And so there wasn't this three-tiered system. The people could come and worship and see the ark and worship the Lord and experience his presence because if there's a mark that David carried, if there's one thing that David was known as, it was a man hungry for the presence of God. What I was going to preach on this morning, and we're going to get there, I just kept backing up until we're here, but we're going to get to Psalm 132. And it's the backstory on David. And it, it tells us how David was ruined by an encounter with God's presence, he never recovered. He structured his entire life. And then he systematized his internal history with God so that he could externalize it, invite other people into it. And that's what the tabernacle of David is it's other people riding in on David's revelation. And so you had a different criteria, a different structure, and a different law. It's the law of love, it's what we see in the new covenant. And so David began to live as a new covenant man while still living under the old covenant. He lived by revelation because the Melchizedekian priesthood preceded the Levitical priesthood. The Levitical priesthood was a temporary priesthood until the great sacrifice, Jesus, came. But David entered into the powers of the age to come. That's why David, he could do, under the law, under the Levitical law, there were two sins for which there was no sacrifice. Those two sins were adultery and murder. In that case, you were the sacrifice. You dead. dead. But David had the audacity in Psalm 51 to cry out unto the Lord and say, Have mercy on me, O God. By what right did David approach the throne asking for mercy? It wasn't just some random thing. It wasn't presumption. It was embedded, it was rooted in a revelation of the Melchizedek priesthood. This is the only explanation for David's fascination with the city of Jerusalem. David was fascinated with that city. As a young man, when he killed Goliath, <sighs> that must have been an awesome scene. That rock sail and hit old Goliath right between the eyes. <laughs> He went down, David ran over, picked up his big sword, which was probably as big as he was, and hacked his head off. And then you know what he did? He grabbed that head by the hair, threw it over his shoulder, and you know where he took it? He didn't just leave it by the body. He took it and brought it to Jerusalem. That was an enemy citadel. And I believe what David was doing is he was that was a prophetic act. I've taken down the giant, but there's going to come a day I'm coming after you. And when David took the crown of all of Israel, the first thing on his agenda was he went and took the city of Jerusalem. And he made Jerusalem the seat of his rule and reign. I believe it's because David understood a revelation about the seat from which Melchizedek reigns. Now, in the New Testament, we know that Jesus reigns literally from the throne of David, Scripture says. Well, we know that that physical chair is long gone. Who knows where that thing is? I wish we could find it. It'd be worth some money. But the the physical chair, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about something that was established in the Spirit by David. Melchizedek's life and David's life and that Jesus sits on that secured throne and God so honors this man David I'm so intrigued by God's affection for this man and I'm so jealous for what he walked in I don't begrudge David having it I just want in the, the, the affection that God had for David is an amazing thing. That God would honor this flesh and blood man, who was, by the way, guilty of adultery and murder in his life. But yet God would refer to his son, the eternal son of the Most High, King Jesus, as the son of David, ruling from the throne of David. What an amazing thing. Does that make you hungry? I'm like, what is it about this man's life? Lord, I want to understand the inner workings of that life so that you'll be attracted to my heart like you were to David's heart. I want you to have that type of affection towards me. I want to be a man of clean hands and a pure heart, not lift my soul to an idol or swear by what is false. David was a man that would swear to the truth even to his own hurt. And he established something in the Spirit. And I'm telling you, God is inviting you and I, he's inviting this church to establish a seat of authority in this region so that he can extend his scepter from there. And it comes through capturing the heart of David and understanding the goings-on of the tabernacle of David and us entering into that, entertaining the presence through intercessory worship. And something's established there. And I'll explain that to you. I'm not just, I'm just not inventing words. I'm not just picking that out of thin air. It is deeply embedded in the history of David in Scripture, the revelation David had. But David understood something. There is a priesthood that he could step into, and he would have the right to live as a new covenant man. David ate the showbread. You're not supposed to do that. But he did it. And God smiled. David danced before the Lord in a linen ephod. It was it was the the, the garment of the, the priests. And God smiled. Because David had a revelation. David was a prophet, a priest, and a king. He brought together all three of those roles in his experience and lived it out before God. And God's inviting all of us into the same. The great prophet, priest, and king, King Jesus, lived in that role. And God is inviting you and I into that. But we've got to understand, God has called you as one who has been redeemed and saved from your sins. You have been pardoned rather than the eternal hell we deserve. We've been bestowed upon a gift of eternity with God as sons and daughters. We're not just going up there to serve in the outer court as a servant and every now peek into the throne room. We are sons of the Most High. Sons and daughters. It's an amazing thing. But God has called us because of the bestowal of that that wonderful position in Him. We are then called to turn back towards man and operate as a priest. And we are to cry out for them. We're to represent God to them. And then we turn back towards God and represent man to God and we're to cry out because God is looking for an intercessor through whom he can operate. It's what God's looking for. We are priests, but we're also kings. We've been given authority. And the danger is is that we as believers do not understand and therefore do not use the authority we've been given. God wants you to exercise your God-given authority for the kingdom of God. I've shared this before, but it was, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight years ago, sometime in the last 30 years. And uh, I was sitting at a political meeting of all things. And after about hour seven, it was really fascinating, but I was a little worn out. And some guy was up there, and it just sounded like a, you know, like Charlie Brown's teacher. I was like, I was in overload. And this guy was talking, and, all, and the Lord began to speak to me. And he said, do you know that the kingdom is an aristocracy? And it kind of jarred me, because just the night before, I know, guys, I, I, I'm going to try to retain my man card and share this secret about myself. I watched... Downton Abbey with my wife, okay? Okay. That's why I, made, I bought a smoker to make up for it, you know? I mean, like, I figure if I smell like smoke and watch Downton Abbey, it kind of evens itself out. Anyway, the night before, we were watching this show about the making of Downton Abbey. And there was this one scene where there's this guy, Matthew, I think it was his name, am I right? See, I, I know it well, I know, that's... I we're going to have to have a hunting trip or something, guys. But uh, anyway, there was this guy, Matthew, who was the heir to this, this title, this, this earl guy. He was, you know, he was part of the aristocracy in England, and the guy had only daughters. And all the sons, he didn't have any sons, and interestingly enough, as a side note, He came into new money from America, which wasn't uncommon during that era because the old money in England was beginning to diminish because of the Industrial Revolution. They're not making enough money to keep these large estates afloat. And so these guys, these with the title, would marry a girl with money from across the sea. So that's what happened. Well, now she's going to lose all her money and give it to someone who's not her own kids because under British law, only the males could inherit. Aren't you glad this kingdom isn't the same, ladies? And so they found this guy, and he's a distant relative, and his name's Matthew. He's a barrister, he's an attorney, but it's not as it's not as a respectable a position as in as in our culture. He's he's a commoner, and all of a sudden they finally said, "You got to move on to the estate because you're going to inherit all this." And he's like, "Whoa, this is crazy!" You know, he's living in this this house, and they give him this guy a valet to dress him every morning, and he's standing there doing his collar and his little cufflinks, and he's you know it's just really awkward. So finally, he goes to the Earl his distant relative, he said, hey, I was just wondering, you think it'd be okay if I fired my valet? And he said, why? Is he not serving you? Oh yeah, he does a great job buttoning my shirt. Yeah, it's just, I don't need it. You know, it's kind of awkward. I'm not used to someone waiting on me all the time. And the Earl said something that was very insightful and kind of flipped the tables on his mindset. Because in his mindset, he was feeling like, this is awkward being served by someone else. And he said to him, Matthew, maybe you need to consider that your position exists to provide for people such as him. Do you realize this entire estate looks to you for their livelihood? And your role as an aristocrat with all these holdings and this vast estate, provide for them. And because you're uncomfortable with it, you would rob this man of an honest livelihood for which he has trained his entire life. And Matthew was convicted, and he never fired his valet. And the Lord reminded me of that scene the night before. He began to tell me, he said, Do you, do you understand, David, that the, the kingdom is an aristocracy? It's rule by royal family. But if you don't become comfortable with the royal role you have as a son or a daughter of God, then you will not be able to function because your role exists to bless the rest of humanity. But I have to be like Abram and be comfortable to first be blessed so I can be a blessing. And if I'm not comfortable with being blessed and out of some false humility reject it, I not only forfeit the blessing I could walk in, but I rob everyone around me of the blessing that I was supposed to bring to them. We are kings and priests. We are a royal priesthood. We are aristocracy. God's kingdom is ruled by royal family. There's two ways to get into an aristocracy. Be born in or marry in. You and I did both. We are the bride of Christ and we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And that bestows upon us titles and lands in the old British language. The right to rule. And we're representatives. You see, ancient kings would rule by family because they could trust them, usually. And so they would delegate. They could reach out to the further Reach furthest reaches of their kingdom through those family members that would rule for them on their behalf, and so they would say, "You're you're going to be in charge of this this kingdom and this kingdom." And as that developed over time, they would become emperors and kings of kings. And King Jesus has given each one of us a kingdom, a measure of authority. Our kingdoms overlap, but make no mistake about it, you carry authority that I don't have and I carry authority you don't have. There are areas you can reach into with authority and release the kingdom that I can't because it's not within the measure of my authority. God has given you influence. And so as kings and priests, we're to exercise that authority under God and release the kingdom and represent our King. Melchizedek was a priest king. David functioned as a priest king. Jesus, of course, was a priest king, but so are you and I. We are kings and priests. We're not merely intercessors asking, we're kings releasing. There comes a point at which our petitions for God to do something shift, and we turn back towards man and make proclamations releasing the power that God has granted through our prayers and it's in that way that we become prophetic and we release the decrees of heaven and we've got to understand that and when we don't we fail to leverage the authority we have Chris Valatin has a wonderful book called Supernatural Ways of Royalty how many of you have read it? it's a great book It opens with this story. I'm going to ruin it for you. It opens with this story. It's worth getting the book, but this is how it opens. Chris had a, his secretary came in one day and she was crying or she was frustrated and he said, what's going on? And she started crying and she said, you don't realize who you are and you don't realize how we see you. And so you say mean things to us. You think you're joking, but it hurts us because of who you are. And she walked out and he thought, wow, she's a little sensitive today. Kind of dismissed it. That night, he awakens from sleep and the Lord speaks to him, the proverb, uh, three, three things under which the world cannot hold up, four things under which it cannot stand or something like that. I, I forget the exact verse. But among the other things it says, it, one of them is a, a woman unloved by her husband. The other one it says, a pauper who becomes a king The proverb is defining the problem of Matthew from that movie. That real guy flick I was watching with my wife. (laughs) That he was, he had a pauper mentality, but he's living in the position of a king. And the reason the world cannot stand up under that, the Lord asked Chris, do you know what this means? And he thought, no, but I guess you're going to tell me. And God began to deal with him that the way he saw himself undermined the calling that he was commissioned to walk in. He wasn't living in the authority because he saw himself in a certain way. He could say things lightly, but to other people, those words carried weight because they recognized who he was more than he did. When you don't recognize your royal position, you can hurt some people, but more often than not, you'll leave people underserved. You carry wealth in the spirit that you could release to them, but you don't because you don't believe you have the bank account, the reserves that you really do. God is inviting us into the Melchizedek priesthood. You're already in as a believer, but we need to understand what this really is. And it's built on a specific heart posture that moves the heart of God. Attracts heaven. It has an ultimate priority by which it lives that we're not going to get into. That's a shameless plug for next week. And that's what God's calling us into. He's delegating authority to us so we can rule and reign now so that we can change human affairs. Amen? All right, let's stop with that. I only went over 55 seconds. Let's go ahead and stand. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.